Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Debbie Manning, and I'm a pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church. I work on the congregational care team. Happy Mother's Day. I was reflecting on Mother's Day this past week, thinking of some of my own stories, and I was recalling a time that as a family, we took a trip up to the Boundary Waters. This was just a few years back. There's a picture, Sam, Kate, and Annie. And when I was looking at that picture, I was reminded that a picture doesn't quite capture it all. That sometimes family and life and Mother's Day and the church is a little bit messier than it looks on the surface. Because what happened just, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes after that picture was this. So my husband and I were in another canoe. One was a rental. We returned it. And everyone but my husband decided, you know what, we're going to swim back to the cabin we were staying in. It was just around the bend. But as that starts to happen, our, our daughter Annie swims away ahead because all she cared about was getting a good workout in, so she's just heading back. Our son Sam is sort of in the middle looking back and forth between this. I'm in the water. My daughter Kate, who let's just say is kind of an insecure swimmer, starts to flail around. The wind starts to pick up. And my husband, who to really understand the beauty of the story, you have to know about him, that he's someone who doesn't like a lot of attention on him. He really, he really likes to kind of lay low. And as this man on the dock across from him is looking up at him from his book, the wind whips up and Steve's canoe starts spinning around. So Steve's doing this. The canoe's spinning like this. Annie's at the dock going, I made it. Kate's flailing and panicking. And I start to say, I think I'm having chest pain. I'm having chest pain. I'm having chest pain. And Steve's yelling at me, but I can't hear because it's in the wind. And Sam's kind of swimming back going, what's going on? And it's all windy and all crazy. And in the midst of all the panic, Sam gets a little closer and he goes, Mom, Dad's trying to tell you that if you just put your feet down, you can touch where you are. <laughs> this is a true story. And the beauty is my poor husband, who hates having the attention on him, is always my sermon illustration. Sorry, honey. But I think it's a little bit like Mother's Day. Because we come together on Mother's Day and we celebrate with joy our moms or the people who've been like mothers to us. But on the other hand, we hold the sorrow of those who've maybe lost a mom or have a broken relationship with a mom or have this deep desire to be a mom. I have some friends that are mom that have lost a child, and this is a painful day. But that's the beauty of being part of the church, is we get to be in it together, and we get to hold together the joy and the sorrow and have hope in Jesus. And that's what I love about this community. So we're in this sermon series called Jesus Sounds Good But, and today we're, we're talking about, but I've been hurt by the church. Last week, Jake Kirchner talked about Jesus sounds good, but the Bible isn't so relevant. And here's what Jake said, that the Bible is the story of everything, that it talks about creation, that we're all created in the image of God. Um, it, it tells us so that there's been a break, a break between us and God and one another, and then that Jesus comes. God in flesh comes to earth and, and lives amongst us, and then Jesus leaves, but he leaves us the Holy Spirit. And together, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to show his love to the world. That's what it means to be the church. And today, we're going to look at what it means to be the church, if we're going to talk about being hurt by the church, and maybe what we need to be aware of as, as well. Because if we're the church, if you and I make up the community of God, a group of people that are committed to following Jesus, displaying his love to the world, 
then no one should ever be hurt by the church, right? Well, that's not the way it works because people have been hurt by the church on the inside of the church, on the outside of the church, and it isn't just on a great occasion. Anne um, Graham Lotz wrote a book called Wounded by God's People. It's an awesome book. And in the front of the book, in the foreword, um, Priscilla um, Shire, and she's a speaker and a uh, author who got her Bible studies degree from Dallas Theological Seminary, she said this, and I thought this was fascinating. Friendly fire. It's a term used to describe soldiers killed in the line of duty by their fellow fighters. In every war, the percentage of deaths attributed to this phenomena is shocking. Yet it pales in comparison to the number of human hearts that have been disparaged and broken by fellow believers people who were supposed to be fighting with us, not against us. And the truth is, we hurt each other inside the church and outside the church. Do you know people that have been hurt by the church? I'm working in pastoral ministries and just being 57 years old and doing a lot of life and having friends and family, I've heard a lot of stories about people being hurt by the church. One comes to mind in particular, a friend of mine who is now uh, in heaven. She died a few years ago of cancer. Her name was Jeannie. She joined this church about six or seven years ago. And she tells the story of when she was a young woman. Um, she was a single mom, came to Christ after she had her little baby boy, Matt. And when Matt was three years old, she was a great student of Scripture great follower of Jesus, and, and she joined a community of people and was invited to live in that community and to teach Bible study. And so she moved Matt to this community, and a few days in, the pastor called her in to his office, and he said, I, I gotta tell you, Jeannie, I, I can't have you teaching other people. I mean, your three-year-old boy is just this huge, like, blaring light of your sin. So she wasn't welcome to be there. That hurt. She was hurt by the church. Fortunately, she continued as a faithful follower of Jesus, but she was hurt by the church. So do you know people that have been wounded? Maybe you've been wounded. And when a person is spiritually wounded, that trauma carries with it the weight of God. The pain can become entangled with our intimate knowledge of who God is. And we, the church, cannot ignore that. And maybe we've been the wounders. I think we probably all have in some way or another. We exclude and we don't even realize it. We might speak words or actions. Might tell people, you're not welcome here. But when we do that, we forget the new covenant to love God and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And without even knowing it, I think we can put conditions and criteria on those that we call our neighbors, that, on those that we're called to love. And I think it's subtle. When I think of all the different people who had come to me over the years, I think of um, so many of my friends in this community and outside that are single or divorced or from blended families, and they feel like sometimes... They don't belong. And I feel like those who feel, 
feel like their voice, their presence isn't a value, that they're out of place because they're too conservative or they're too liberal. I think of those that don't feel valued because of their gender or their sexual orientation or the color of their skin or their age. Many people in this congregation, people that we stand on their shoulders, the foundation of this community that are elderly now, that feel like their voice is not a value, that they aren't welcome here. They've been wounded by the church. Excluded, ignored, passed by, criticized, gossiped, pointed at. Whatever the hurt is, I think it ultimately always comes back to one thing, is that for whatever reason, people feel like they don't belong, they're not welcome, they don't fit in. That there's an in and that there's an out. And that ultimately there isn't room at the table for them. But here's our good news. Jesus. Follow along in your pew Bible or it'll be up on the screen. We're in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what that means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. It's a good story, isn't it? I think it starts out with a real big bang. I mean, here's Matthew, a tax collector who in ancient times would have been just hated. I mean, it was, Israel was under Roman rule, so he was considered a traitor and greedy, and he had dealings with Gentiles. So here's someone who was definitely on the outside, yet Jesus pointed to him and said, hey, you, come and follow me. And I got to imagine that this guy was like, what, you know, one of those, like, is he pointing at me? Or, yeah, he was pointing at him, and he, he got up and he followed Jesus. But I think the real beauty of this story is the table. It's the table, because in ancient culture, the table was a place of division and stratifications of society. But at Jesus' table, all were welcome. The Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, they were absolutely appalled to see Jesus sitting at this table with these sinners and these outcasts, because they regarded anyone who did not keep God's laws in the way that they interpreted it as sinners. They would never have spoken to, looked at, talked to, let alone sat at a table and shared a meal with these people. But that wasn't God's desire. God's desire, his work in the world, is to restore community and fellowship among his people. And Jesus was doing just that through his own ministry of gathering people around the table. And it was a table that was open to everyone. And don't you think that's got to be our model for church? I don't think the Pharisees would have seen it that way. 
They didn't like including everyone. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need me, who are in need of a physician, but those who are sick. And this is what's important to us is that he says, go and learn what this means. Because the Pharisees, they considered themselves healthy before God because they kept all the laws. They observed the laws, and they were blind to their own spiritual sickness. Jesus' point is that only those who realize that they need Jesus come to him and receive the help that they need. Jesus ends this whole conversations by saying, conversation by saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And that threatened the very life of the Pharisees. God wasn't looking for, for sacrifice, which was summarized in these terms by observance of r- religious rituals. More important to God was mercy, steadfast love. And if the Pharisees would have gotten that, they could have been part of loving these sinners. Now, this isn't a one-off story, right? Because isn't this the Jesus of the Gospels that we know? Meeting people where they were at, inviting them in, all sorts of people. And there was never a criteria. There was no standard that anyone had to meet to be welcomed. So I think there's a few things we could consider from this story as we think about what it means to be a church, a church that doesn't hurt people. I think the, the thing that we jump off of is this idea, this reminder that the church is for everyone. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright, in a wonderful commentary he writes on the book of Matthew, in the introduction he says this, On the very first occasion when someone stood up in public to tell people about Jesus, he made it very clear, this message is for everyone. It was a great day, sometimes called the birthday of the church. The great wind of God's spirit had swept through Jesus' followers and filled them with a new joy and a sense of God's presence and power. It's the beginning of the church, and the person standing there speaking publicly was the apostle Peter. And Peter was sharing what God had done for him and what he was beginning to do for the entire world. New life and forgiveness and new hope and power. And he right goes on to say, a new age had begun in which the living God was going to do new things in the world beginning then and there with the individuals who were listening to him. This promise is for you, he said, and for your children and for everyone who is far away. It wasn't just for the person standing next to you. It was for everyone. So if we have this understanding that the church is for everyone, how do we move forward and be a church that values all and welcomes all and includes all? And I think the first thing we do is work toward being more aware. Because there's damage done when there's unexamined assumptions and words and actions. And I think in our story, the Pharisees had blind spots. And that's why Jesus said, go and learn what this means. But they didn't. They only saw things from their own inside view. But that's not the way Jesus sees things. 
A uh, couple nights ago, my daughter Annie graduated from the University of Minnesota, the public health program. And they had a keynote speaker there that was one of the best I've ever heard in the many graduations I've been to. Her name was Dr. Camera Jones. Her resume is too long for me to repeat, but she's a family practice doctor, an epidemiologist. She's got her doctorate in uh, public health. And her work focuses on the impact of racism on the health and well-being of our nation. And she loves to give her message to the public in allegories. And one of the stories she told, I think, fits with what we're talking about tonight. And she tells the story of as a young woman, and she was in med school, and she was studying late into the night with friends, and they decided they were hungry. So they went out to a dinner, or to a diner, excuse me, late at night. And as they sat down and sat around the table to eat, it, the diner closed. And she looked up and she noticed the open sign, because that's what was facing them. And in a flash, she realized that sometimes when you're in the inside, you only see the open side. Because she realized a few feet away, there was a group of people out here, maybe hungry, and all they could see was the closed sign. And this idea that sometimes when we're on the inside, it's hard to remember, to realize that there are actually people on the outside. And I think the message for us is we want to be a church and our sign says open here and open there. I loved that story. When we're in the in, sometimes it's hard to see the out. Now I do want to say that I think this community is a community of people who strive to be for everyone. And I was struck by that and I'm must have left it here, so I'm going to grab it. When we think about, we had that awesome capital campaign where we were raising money, and we really decided, what is it we are about? What do we believe in? And I was struck by this. I think it's beautiful. Together, you and I can live out the kind of church that's not about us, not for us, and not limited by us. Together, you and I can be a church where everyone is invited and Jesus is always the hero. And out of that, we came up with one vision statement to boldly extend the invitation Jesus makes to us to everyone. This gives me great hope, you guys. This is amazing to be part of a community who strives to be like that. So do we invite and do we embrace and do we make room at our own tables for our neighbor no matter what our differences are? I love um, the story of Jesus when he feeds the 5,000 and of course it's an amazing, miraculous story of taking um, two fish and five loaves of bread and you feed 5,000. Actually, they thought it was 10,000 if you counted the women and children. And that's a cool story in its own. But you know what I love about that story? I love that there was no criteria for being on that hillside that day. Jesus didn't say, hey, you better meet these standards. This wasn't about who knew the religious laws or who was morally superior or who looked a certain way or believed a certain thing. That was open to everyone. And can you imagine who was on that hillside? Jews and Gentiles and Romans and Pharisees and clean and unclean and lepers and Samaritans and you name it, the outcasts, the sinners, men, women, children, all were included. And when we have that awareness, I think amazing things can happen. 
I was thinking about how subtle sometimes these things can be, our lack of awareness. And I have a friend, Carrie, she's a good friend of mine, and she's a young, single woman. And she was telling me a couple years ago how much it hurts to be single sometimes here. Sometimes the language, sometimes our programming, sometimes the things we say from up front, I feel like they don't include her. And then she said to me, you know, Debbie, even you talk about you and Steve when you have people over for dinner, and it's always families, and it's always couples. You've got a lot of single friends like me, and I feel like I'm not always included in that. I've changed the way I think now because my friend Carrie shared that with me, increased my level of awareness as I work toward that, and I know I have a lot of work to do, but it's those things that we want to see differently and hear differently and live differently. We don't want to exclude anybody. So as the church, let's commit. Let's commit to listening and looking and growing in our awareness. And I think the second thing we can do is acknowledge, is acknowledge that people have been hurt, that there are wounds, and those happen from us as individuals and us as a church, the big church, Because when the church hurts people, there's a ripple effect. There's the hurt itself. There's that injury. And we're a caring community, and we're committed to that. One of our top values is tangible care. We value that because tangible care changes lives. But there's the hurt itself, and then there's the inability to trust God's people. I mean, we are God's representatives on earth. And gosh, you think about the pain that could inflict, the division. And then ultimately, and the biggest risk is that people might not trust God. There's a lot at stake. It's important to acknowledge. You know, my daughter, Kate, when she was in high school, she she sat at lunch with a group of kids. It was the Christian kids in the school. We were out at Minnetonka High School. And uh, mid-fall, her senior year, she came home and said, I'm not going to sit with that group of kids anymore, Mom. I said, well, why is that, Kate? Well, because there's a part of that group that is really exclusive. Like at lunch, they don't include a lot of us in their conversation, and they talk about what they did on Friday night in front of us, and we weren't included. And they're in a Bible study, and some of us asked if we could join it, and they said, no, there wasn't any room. And then a few months later, Kate came home and said, oh, gosh, You know, it's semester change, and some of those kids who had hung in there were so hurt because as they shift lunch um, times, that group of girls said, you know, actually there's no room at our table anymore for you. And I got to tell you, as a mom, I was so upset. You know, it always, that mama bear comes out, and I was so hurt for my daughter. But as a Christ follower, I was devastated. Because all I could think about is that that's what Minnetonka High School, those kids see as people who are following Jesus Christ. And the hurt and the pain that that could inflict. So let's acknowledge it, let's name it, let's claim it. Because when we recognize that people have been hurt by the church, we can take a stand, we can make changes. And of course, we're not going it alone. We can't. We have the Holy Spirit. And let's choose mercy. That's what Jesus said. Let's choose mercy. 
And it is hard work. And it's hard to be honest with ourselves. Maybe we ask the question, what stands in our way? Because what is standing in our way of making room at the table or having an open-handed, kingdom-minded lives? Is it pride or fear or uncertainty or control or power? Because if any of those things stand in our way, we need to remove them. And I think the question we ask ourselves with every thought and the way we see and our words and our actions is this. Does this lift Jesus higher or does it lift me higher? Because when we can ask that honest question and answer it honestly, we can take steps forward and really be in the church. And then we can ask each other for forgiveness and we can accept forgiveness and we can stand in that truth and we know from God that the truth will set us free and when we're free, we're free to love like Jesus and what God said is that our love will be the trademark of us being the church. John 13, 35 says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The founder of the home church movement in England, a man named Canon Ernest Southfield, defined the church like this. The holiest moment of the church service is the moment when God's people, strengthened by preaching and sacrament, go out of the church door into the world to be the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. We're God's people. We're God's people who are in Christ Jesus and we get to be the church. And the great commission is to go out into the world and make disciples. We make disciples and we show God's love to unbelievers and believers alike. And we can't do that if we're hurting people along the way. I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways I know that I've hurt people along the way. I am sorry for the ways that the church has hurt people along the way. But I'm also hopeful. I'm hopeful because we have a Jesus that shows us what it means to be the church. I'm going to end with something very simple. A couple weeks ago, I was on a walk with my daughter Kate, and I said, Kate, why do you think people are hurt by the church? In a very simple but profound answer, she said, I don't know, Mom, I think people forget who Jesus is. And then they don't follow him. We've got a God that tells us and shows us what it means. Let's be those kinds of people. Please pray with me. Holy and gracious God, um, you show us what it means to be the church and how to love one another and welcome all people in. And we trust, God, that you're the one that will be the transforming, doing the transforming work in our hearts and in our minds. And we thank you for the privilege of being invited along for the ride. Help us to be people who keep our eyes focused firmly on you, Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen.